Welcome to the Battle Cry Podcast with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. You can watch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Convention of States Facebook and Rumble channels. Hey everyone, happy Sunday evening and welcome to the Battle Cry. I'm your host, Mark Meckler, and this is the Battle Cry. I'm so glad to have you here. You know, I know for a few weeks on and off, I'm out and about. I'm not able to do the Battle Cry live. I miss it. I really miss it. And the reason I miss it is it's a chance for me to communicate directly with you. A lot of times I'm out in the field and I'm doing that. I get to travel around the country. I get to hang out with grassroots people. That's my favorite thing to do. Well, other than being at home here with the dogs. Do we have the dogs in the office? Yeah, there you go. That's Levi on cue back on the couch. I know it looks like the couch, but you can see him moving around. I promise there is a great dame back there. Hopefully Winston will come in at some point. So I love being here at home with the family, but I also love being out on the road and being with you guys. And I got a chance to do that this week. Uh, I was actually in Boston, Massachusetts. Absolutely cool thing to do. I'll talk more about that later on. But there's a lot of news we got to cover. And as I was putting together the battle cry this week, what I realized is there's more news than I could possibly cover. There's just so much going on out there. What I try to do here with the battle cry is just kind of give you my personal unvarnished look at what's going on in the news. Sometimes I'm trying to point out things that you might not have seen before. A lot of times it's stuff you've seen. I'm just trying to give you my take on it. I want to be really careful also when I tell you I'm giving you my take on it because a lot of times what I'm giving you is a take that I've stolen from somebody else. By somebody else, what I usually mean is somebody like you. I've been out in the field. I've been in Boston, as we discussed. I, I've been in Cheyenne, Wyoming this week. And whenever I'm doing that, I'm meeting with grassroots people and I learn stuff from them. They give me links to articles I might not have seen. They point out videos I might not have watched yet, news articles I didn't know about, maybe stories that I'd never even heard about. And I learn. And so I think I have a perspective that's unique because I get it from you. It's not because I'm smarter or I know more or I have more time in a day than you do. I don't, but I'm able to spend so much time learning from you guys. And so I'm always trying to give you what I consider a true grassroots take on whatever is going on out there in the media. If you're frustrated because there might be stories in particular that I'm not covering, I get it. I'm frustrated too, but there's only 24 hours in a day and there's only roughly 30 minutes in a battle cry. So let's get right at it. I'm going to start with something that you probably haven't heard about. It's not much in the news. I think it's an important story. And this is lawyer John Eastman's, former professor John Eastman's disbarment trial. So he was one of Trump's lawyers and he was one of Trump's lawyers that helped him come up with a plan to look at all the things that had happened during the election. Uh, and now he's being disbarred for that. Number one, I just think this is absolutely unbelievably outrageous. I want to say as a longtime lawyer, somebody who's been a lawyer since 1988, it is very rare to see a disbarment trial. And we used to joke as lawyers about all the bad things that you could see lawyers do that they wouldn't get disbarred for. There would never be a disbarment trial. And, and the joke was, it's a little bit macabre, but you would have to have a lawyer on tape committing a murder and then admitting to committing the murder before the Bar Association in any given state would disbar that lawyer. So the idea that John A. Smith came up with a theory whereby President Trump could challenge the election, a, I would argue, a viable legal theory and gave that advice and he's being disbarred for that is absolutely outrageous. Now, John Eastman is not one to give up easily. John Eastman serves on our legal advisory board. I know the man. I think he's a great lawyer. I think he's a great American patriot. 
And the idea that he's being disbarred, what's going to happen is he's going to fight. And he's going to introduce stuff in his disbarment trial that I think is going to be explosive. That trial opened this week, and some of it already has been explosive. He's talking uh, early on in the trial. His defense is talking about what really happened out there during the 2020 election. And he's talking specifically about Zuckerbucks. And I'm going to read to you a little bit from a post that was made on X. And this is by Rachel Alexander. She said the testimony by the first witness uh, Trump's attorney, John Eastman, called to put on his side of the story in his disbarment trial has been nothing less than explosive. The trial ended for the day with more bombshells. He realized that Zuckbucks, or he revealed that Zuckbucks, $8.8 million from Zuckerberg Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL, provided to Wisconsin's five large cities, violated the law. He said they're not grants, they're employment contracts, and CTCL employees actually go to work for the clerk's offices and get to see information about voters that the public can't access as easily. In fact, the public has to pay $12,000 plus for the voter roll and gets a, only gets a snapshot of that instant, has to wait four or five days. So they can't even determine whether someone's made active two weeks before the election and, and then just deactivated a couple of weeks after the election. And if the clerks, by the way, don't comply with the Zuckbucks requirements, that CTCL, they have a huge penalty. They have to give all the money back. So these employees determine if a voter is likely to vote for Trump or Biden. They're allowed to see who votes, who had requested ballots but hasn't returned them. They're allowed to chase them down and get their ballots. These folks were embedded in the clerk's offices and they were running the elections. But the Zuckerbergs have made statements that they wanted to defeat Trump. He also said votes were illegally cast. They were dropped off in ballot boxes that weren't placed near the clerk's offices, which the Wisconsin Supreme Court reaffirmed. And instead of instead, the clerks let the CTCL dictate where they had to be placed. The guy that Zuckerberg's hired to run this whole thing had written an entire book where he described how to defeat Trump. And he said that the election, the election would actually be won by dueling it out block to block in these types of big cities. So I think this is explosive. I think most people are not watching this trial. They're focused on everything that's going on with Trump. I think you ought to watch this John Eastman's disbarment trial. I'm a big supporter of John Eastman. I'm a fan of John Eastman. I think he's a bright man. I think he's a great lawyer. I think he was a great law professor. And now he's being targeted by the deep state. And so keep an eye on this. I think it's going to be explosive. When you look at what's going on in Washington, D.C. and around the country, but especially in Washington, D.C., if you look at Congress, you have to notice, it's impossible not to notice the decline of the mental state of our leadership class. And I'm going to call it what it is. You're seeing dementia in office. And I mean dementia at scale. I mean late stage dementia. I'll start with Mitch McConnell. I don't know whether it's dementia or he's having mini strokes or seizures or what's going on, but his doctors today came out and said that he was dehydrated and that's why he's freezing. That's why when asked a question about his reelection, he said, and I quote, yeah, I know it's uncomfortable. And I think most of us, at least if you're my age, you've been through this kind of stuff. We're experiencing some of this with somebody in my family right now, it's not fun. It's really sad. It's really depressing to watch somebody slide into dementia. And I would argue those that are enabling it are conducting elder abuse. And this is both parties right now. You have Diane Feinstein clearly completely out of her mind, has no idea where she is serving in the United States Senate. She has to be told how to vote. She has to be told what's going on. Clearly not a any longer a mentally functioning human being at the capacity 
somebody should be to be serving in any elected office, let alone as a U.S. senator for the largest state in the United States of America, representing 40 million plus people and completely not there. Who is running the ship? It's not the elected official. It's staffers for the elected official. It's the party. I don't know exactly who it is, but this is bad stuff. So you've got Mitch McConnell, who is having complete mental freezes, strokes, seizures, whatever they are. They're claiming dehydration. It's not dehydration. I give the man a glass of water now and then. It's not going to stop. You have Dianne Feinstein. And then, of course, you have Fetterman from Pennsylvania, again, serving a huge state, serving a huge constituency, clearly out of his mind. You don't see Fetterman in the media anymore because he's not around. So he has staff running his office. 20-somethings, maybe the leadership of the party running his office, but he does not represent the people of Pennsylvania. This is an outrage against our system, against our framers, against everything that we hold near and dear in our constitutional republic. These people are mental incompetence in their offices. And then, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention at the very highest level, we have Joe Biden, a man in middle to late stage dementia. There is a dementia scale. You can go look it up online. It goes one through seven. I would argue that Joe Biden is probably at a five or 5.5 on that scale. If you look at that scale, what you would see is that he's somebody who should be somewhere in a memory care facility or with full-time memory care. The guy can't care for himself. He is treated, as Peter Ducey said, like a baby in the White House. They have to baby this man. They have to tell him where to be. He has to read his questions off of note cards. He can't even do that competently. He can't answer any questions competently. He appears to not know where he is. He wanders aimlessly unless somebody's by his, by his side. This is somebody who has dementia. Dr. Jill Biden is committing elder abuse. The Biden family is committing elder abuse by having him out there. His staffers, all the people surrounding him are committing elder abuse by having him out there. This is true of all these people. This is abuse. I'm going to call it what it is. Abuse with a capital A, maybe all capitals. It's not okay what we're doing, what they're doing to these human beings. And go beyond that. It's not okay for our country. This is abusive. It's unethical. It's inappropriate. We have the right as citizens to have people representing us who are mentally competent. And I realize there are methods for removing these people and the idea that we're not doing this is an outrage. We should do it. We should demand more from our institutions than this. And this is why, part of the reason why Americans don't trust their institutions. And I want you to notice for me, it's not partisan. Dianne Feinstein is a mental incompetent. Joe Biden is a mental incompetent. Mitch McConnell has something seriously wrong with his brain. I, I'm not saying that he's mentally incompetent in the sense that it seems like when he's not having these glitches, he talks fine and he reasons fine, but clearly he is not well. John Fetterman is clearly not well, and these people are our public officials, and it is an outrage, and we should all be outraged by it. In this case, I would call personally Mitch McConnell should step down, and they should name a new senator in his place. There should be new leadership that steps up and is takes over in the Senate for Mitch McConnell. And that's not because I don't like Mitch McConnell. It's not because I hate Mitch McConnell. By the way, I don't like Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is an opponent of COS in Kentucky. He's one of the big reasons that COS has never moved forward in Kentucky. He threatens folks if they are to support COS in Kentucky. So it'd be good for COS if he's gone. That's not the reason I'm saying it. I'm saying it because there's something wrong with him. It's a serious problem. So this is a problem that we as a society should pay attention to and address.
And I think there should be some form of basic mental competency test where we all get to see the results for these folks. Uh, that anybody, maybe you have uh, 51% or or 60% of the Senate or the House or some some way, we ought to be able to challenge these folks and make them take mental competency tests. Our leadership class is declining mentally. It's not okay. Speaking of people who have declined mentally, well, maybe it's not a mental decline. Maybe she's always been where she's at, but Kamala Harris, it looks like it's entirely possible at this point that Kamala Harris will be the presidential candidate for the Democrat Party. I can't imagine Joe Biden making it, not just because he's mentally unsound. I think they're happy with him being mentally unsound. But the scandal surrounding him, the scandal with Hunter Biden, the corruption surrounding Joe Biden, the stink has gotten so thick that you have left wing media reporting on it. And I just can't imagine he's going to make it. His poll numbers are sub 40 right now. He's not trusted on the economy. He's not trusted on foreign policy. Uh, he's hated because of what he did in Afghanistan. People, regular people are hurting because of gas prices going up. I don't know if you followed this story, but Saudi Arabia says they're going to continue to suppress oil production. They don't like Joe Biden. Joe Biden doesn't like Saudi Arabia, so they'd rather see him not be reelected. He says he's not going to drill in Anwar. He's going to prevent drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve. He is trying to shut down our oil industry. Gas prices are going up. That affects people, regular people like you and me at the pump. People aren't going to vote for him. People are frustrated. He says Bidenomics is working. That's what his campaign is saying. The bottom line is it's not working for regular folks. Not working for me. It's not working for you. Groceries are up. Insurance is up. Car expenses are up. Housing expenses are up. Everything's up. He has no idea. He doesn't buy anything. He doesn't pay for anything. It's 10% for the big guy. It's Hunter Biden pays half of his expenses. Whatever it is, Joe Biden has no idea what's going on anyway. The American people aren't taking it. And so it's looking like we may not have Joe Biden as a presidential candidate. It might be Kamala Harris. Now, you might breathe a sigh of relief because Kamala Harris is less popular than Joe Biden. Those are just the facts by the numbers. But the reality is the deep state loves Kamala Harris. And the reason they love Kamala Harris is because she is completely incompetent and totally controllable. She wants to be president of the United States. She would be a quote unquote historic and historic figure because she would be the first black woman president. Although I have to say with some of the scandal coming out around Barack Obama recently, I don't know about that for sure. I don't know how he identifies, but Kamala Harris is a potential candidate. And I would say don't put it past her to get elected because clearly the deep state will do whatever they have to do to elect whatever pawn they want to elect <clears throat> to make sure whoever opposes them is not elected. This is dangerous territory. Joe Biden got elected by sitting in a basement and doing absolutely nothing. And I think Kamala Harris could essentially do the same thing. They could throttle her down. They could muzzle her. And yet she might win because the deep state's all in for the left. And I worry about that. So watch for that. Watch for the rise and the reinvention of Kamala Harris. We've already seen the media trying to do it. Let's see what the deep state does to try and help that because I have no doubt they will. When we talk about the deep state, we often think about the DOJ, the FBI, law enforcement, stuff like that, CIA. Sometimes, and I think this is inappropriate when we say deep state, we're not thinking top of mind about the IRS. I think we should be thinking about the IRS. Let's not forget that in the modern era, the advent of the deep state going after political opponents on a large scale was the IRS going against the Tea Party movement. 
And I was deeply involved in that. A lot of you were involved in that. You were involved in local Tea Party groups that were targeted by the IRS. Uh, we helped fund a class action, Citizens for Self-Governance did, against the IRS. There was a $3.7 million payout on a settlement. It's the only class action settlement I'm ever aware of the IRS paying out on for targeting people like you and me for expressing our First Amendment, our right under the First Amendment to express our political beliefs. We were targeted for that. People were targeted for that. Lots of people across the country were targeted for that. So what's the IRS doing today? It's all been reformed because of that, right? Nope, hasn't been reformed. In fact, now they have $80 billion more than they used to have to go after people just like you. Now, remember, they got that additional $80 billion. They promised it was going to be used to go after only the most wealthy. Unfortunately, a recent audit of how they're spending that money shows the vast vast majority of people being targeted are people making under $200,000 a year. Now, why would they do that? Why not just go after the really rich folks? Well, the explanation is pretty simple. If you're a really rich person, then you are legally sophisticated. You have tax attorneys, you have accountants, you have advisors who structure all these transactions for you to minimize your taxes. And by the way, I don't begrudge them any of that. They can afford that. They've earned this wealth. They should, and every American should legally minimize the taxes they're going to pay. And if the IRS audits, and you're a billionaire or a mega millionaire, and the IRS audits you, what do you do? You call those same tax attorneys and those same accountants, and you say, can you please handle this audit for me? And they do. Now, if you're making under 200 grand a year, and you get that knock on the door, the, the metaphorical knock on the door, the letter from the IRS saying that you're being audited, what do you do? I can tell you what you do. You panic, right? You, your pulse goes up. Your stress level goes through the roof. And you know this is going to take you a lot of time and energy, and you have no idea how to deal with this stuff. You don't have highly paid accountants and highly paid attorneys. And this is why the IRS is using that $80 billion to target people like you. Because mostly people like you are just going to roll over if they get audited by the IRS. If the IRS tells you you owe an extra $4,000 or $5,000 or $10,000, whatever it is, it's generally easier for you to just pay that. It's certainly less stressful for you to just pay that, right? If you can, you're going to try to just settle with the IRS. You're not going to have a big fight with the IRS. So it's much easier. The low-hanging fruit for the IRS is to go after regular people who don't have a highly paid tax counsel and highly paid CPAs, and that's what they do. And that's what the stats are showing us. So they promised us that was not going to be the case. And if you believed a promise from the IRS, shame on you. And whether you're left or right, you should hate and distrust the IRS. At this point, in my opinion, you should hate and distrust all federal institutions. They're not to be trusted. They're not your friends. They are, in my opinion, I know I get grief for saying this, they're the enemy of the people. At this point, Federal institutions are deep state institutions. They are enemies of the people. The IRS is proving that once again. It should be called instead of the Internal Revenue Service, the Intimidation Response Service. They're out there intimidating people and forcing you to respond. I think it's unconstitutional, by the way. I'm gonna throw out a brief legal theory for you there. I think random audits are an unlawful search and seizure. They have no probable cause, they don't have to get a warrant, and they force you to provide information which might incriminate you. They force you to provide information with no probable cause. It's as if they walked up to your front door and randomly said, knock, 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 we're here to perform a random search to see if you've done anything wrong. Do you have illegal drugs in your house? Do you have illegal weapons in your house? And so I think that this is unconstitutional, and I think over time somebody needs to challenge the random audit. Maybe we'll do that someday.
So you've been watching the news, no doubt, because you're sitting here. That means you're an informed person. You're watching the news. You've probably seen the news that came out in the last couple of days that special now, now the special prosecutor, special counsel Weiss. Oh, hey, Winston, you like this story? As you can see, Winston comes in, slobbers all over me. He loves to come in during the middle of stuff. Hi, buddy. Uh, special counsel Weiss has said that he is now looking at bringing charges against Hunter Biden, the gun charges, right? And I think there's a lot of people on the right. This is very exciting. We're going to have gun charges against Hunter Biden, and he's finally going to get his due. Well, this is a cover-up, plain and simple, because the gun charges are the most minimal charges. Do you really care about the gun charges? I realize they're salacious. I realize those are the exciting, sexy charges. But the real meat of the matter, Hunter Biden's financial corruption and how it ties to his dad, President Joe Biden. And I'm worried what I think is happening here is he's going to flash the shiny thing. The shiny thing is pressing uh, gun charges against Hunter Biden. He's going to use those to wrap everything up and to create some sort of a plea deal. I think what's interesting about it, though, is I think you're actually going to see the gun charges lead to something serious, potentially, for Hunter Biden. I think Joe Biden, or at least his team, are now willing to throw Hunter Biden under the bus. This is the kind of human being that Joe Biden is. Remember, this is the same guy that was willing to deny the existence of his own flesh and blood, his granddaughter, because it was politically inopportune for him. I'm, I think he's the user. He's been using Hunter Biden to make money off his positions, off of Joe Biden's positions for years. And so I think he is willing to sell out his son. And I, I think we're going to see that. It's going to be really interesting to watch the machinations here. But don't be fooled by the shiny gun charge, the real crimes, the serious crimes, Foreign Agent Registration Act violations, actual selling influence of Joe Biden. That's the real stuff. And we need to keep pushing forward with that. I hope that Republicans will do that. Okay, now I know we're all bored of the presidential race already. I am anyway. Uh, and there's a lot more to come, but we have to do, we promised we were going to do every week that I'm on who's hot and who's not in the presidential race. And the race is cooling off in one regard and heating up in another regard. And what we're seeing is no matter what they do to President Trump, his popularity seems to be increasing, certainly among the Republican base. And I understand that for all his flaws, you and I look at Donald Trump as a stand-in for us. Donald Trump says this, and I think it's true. They're not just attacking Donald Trump to get him. They're attacking Donald Trump to get us, to get you and me. Now, I want to be really clear, and I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm not loyal to Donald Trump. I'm not. I'm not a loyalist. I'm loyal to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And beyond that, I have some measure of loyalty to my family and friends, but I'm not loyal to any politician. Why would I be loyal to a politician? That's crazy. Politicians are human beings and they always compromise and they always disappoint us at some point. No politician is perfect because they're human beings. And so I don't, I don't pledge loyalty to a politician. I pledge my life, my sacred honor, my fortune to you as grassroots activists. I'll be in the fight for you, but my vote, somebody has to win my vote. That being said, I want to be clear also, Donald Trump, greatest president of my lifetime. I'm incredibly grateful for Donald Trump and everything he did. But when we do what's hot and what's not, or who's hot and who's not, I'm just going to speak the truth as I see it, right? And as I hear it from grassroots all around the country. So Donald Trump rising in the polls, but I also hear a lot of people saying that they get frustrated that they're not hearing policy from Trump. They're hearing Trump talk about how he's being persecuted. He is being persecuted. It is completely unjust. It is really outrageous. I agree with all of that stuff. But I want to hear Donald Trump talk about 
how he's going to write the ship of state. I want to hear him talk about specifically what are his plans for going after the administrative state, for going after the deep state. I want to hear him say specifics, not just all solve the Ukraine crisis in one day. I know I don't do a good Trump uh, impression, but I want to know what's he going to do to solve the Ukraine crisis. I want to know what's he going to do to turn the economy around. I want to know specifics. And by the way, I usually love Donald Trump's specifics. And I think that's the right campaign to run. There's some easy things that the Democrats are making layups for Republicans if Republicans will run by saying the easy things, by saying that we're going to empower parents in the schools, by saying that we're going to make sure that sports are limited, women in sports are limited to women, by saying that we're going to free up Americans in the economy, that we're going to free up American oil for Americans so that we can be energy independent again, by talking about how we're going to put strings on Ukraine aid and we're going to make sure that the money isn't being wasted and we want to see an end game. These are things that I think Donald Trump should be saying and other Republicans should be saying. So while Donald Trump is up, I think he's demonstrating a poor campaign strategy because he has to not only win the base, he has to not only win Republicans, which he's clearly doing, but he has to broaden his appeal into independence. He's going to have to win a general election, and that's much harder. It was, you know, I he, I believe personally that if it were not for the media rigging everything, if it were not for the suppression of the Hunter Biden story in the last election cycle, Donald Trump would have won. If it were not some of the voter fraud out there, Donald Trump would have won. I know I'll get in trouble for saying that stuff also. But I'm not here to please anybody. I'm just here to give you my perspective on stuff. So I think in the primary, Donald Trump is hot. I'm worried about the general. Who's not? To me, Ron DeSantis continues his slide downwards. And I say that as a person who really, really, really likes Ron DeSantis. The thing is governing. The thing is not campaigning. I love the way Ron DeSantis governs. I mean, he is no doubt one of the top governors in America. I say one of the top because I recently had the privilege of spending some time with Governor Kim Reynolds from Iowa, and she's fantastic. So I put her up there in the category with Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is just a little more flamboyant and public than Kim Reynolds. But I love Ron DeSantis. I love what he's done for the state of Florida. I think he's a great governor. I think he would probably make a great president. Now, I realize I'm going to piss some people off saying that. There's some MAGA people who claim Ron DeSantis is some kind of squish Republican. I've not seen any evidence of that. Look how Florida has been governed under Ron DeSantis, right? So I think his record speaks for itself. I think the way he goes after woke culture speaks for itself. I think what he's done to reform Florida into the best education system in the country speaks for itself. Florida's economy speaks for itself. Florida under COVID speaks for itself. All the people moving to Florida speak for themselves very loudly. And so from my perspective, I love Ron DeSantis. His campaign sucks. I've not seen anything out of his campaign that I like. I don't I don't think he's done a great job on the campaign trail. It's sort of the opposite of Donald Trump, which is Ron DeSantis is very good at policy. And he's not great at running a campaign. I don't know who he's got running his campaign. I don't know them. Sorry for being critical. I don't mean this personally. I just don't see the campaign as performing. So I would say right now, Donald Trump hot, especially in the primary. Ron DeSantis not, especially and only in the primary. That's what I'm really worried about. Right now, if you look at Vivek, it, it appears he might have hit his ceiling. I love the stuff the guy says. I think he made some huge missteps. His statements about Israel and aid to Israel were a terrible misstep. I think the way he's handled Ukraine is generally a misstep. Uh, so I think he's he's making rookie mistakes. 
and maybe this isn't his time. Nikki Haley appears to be on the rise. I don't I don't trust Nikki Haley, to be honest with you. I think she speaks incredibly well. Uh, she's a very good spokesperson. That's what she was at the UN. She was a spokesperson for Donald Trump's policies. She did a great job there. I don't know about her in the long run. So the others, I'm just going to say, who? Who, who are they? Because I don't think they're going to do anything else. Let's talk a little bit about Convention of States. This week, I was in the State House in Wyoming, in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Really cool place to be. I love that State House. It's really beautiful, completely remodeled, refurbished about four years ago. I was there with Senator Evie Brennan. Senator Brennan was a big COS supporter, and she was encouraged to run to be a state senator. She's now a state senator. I was recording some interviews of her for a new television show we're going to be doing, uh, just talking about why she got involved in politics, how she got involved in politics, the challenge of that. The goal of the new show that's going to be upcoming is to encourage people like you who are grassroots activists to actually step into your moment, to run for stuff, to start organizations, to work for campaigns, to do the hard work of saving the United States of America. Evie Brennan is an example of that. And it was also interesting, the Wyoming state legislature not in right now, being in a legislative building when the legislature is not in session, completely different experience. I put some stuff up on uh, Instagram. You can see me on Instagram at Mark at Real Mark Meckler. Uh, go ahead and check that out. You'll see what it looks like to be in a legislature when nobody's around. It's pretty cool. Uh, I also had a chance to go from there to Massachusetts. Talked about that earlier in Massachusetts. I was in Boston at the Massachusetts State House. That's an incredibly beautiful building filled with history. The found a lot of the founding fathers were there in Boston during the time of the founding the framing of the Constitution, seeing all that incredible history. It is just an amazing place to be. Again, I put some of that footage out there. You should see it on our social media channels. I had a chance to be there, be with the grassroots who are in the Great Hall of Flags, which is a beautiful place, has a flag from every city, every town in Massachusetts. My family has links to Millis, Massachusetts. Patty, my wife, her whole family is from Millis in that area. So I found their town flag. And I met with great grassroots. And, and there's something I got to tell you specifically about Massachusetts. If you're in a red state and you say, this is really hard work and I don't know how we do it and how do we attract people, we packed that atrium. And this was a weekday, the hottest day of the year in Massachusetts so far this year, when it should be starting to cool off. The traffic was horrendous. We packed it. It was absolutely incredible. So kudos to Haley Shaw, regional director, Michael Arnold, the rest of the team there in Massachusetts. You all did a fantastic job. I felt very welcome there. We had uh, Representative Zaros gave a great speech about why he is our champion and sponsor for Convention of States. I think we should expect to see great things come out of Massachusetts here in the in the long term. Here, all right, we're going to go now to my favorite part of Convention of States uh, on the battle cry, and that is your Q and A. Uh, it was Jim Walker says. Uh, let's see. It was great to see items debated on the floor at the simulation. Rather, in backroom deals, the way Congress works. If you haven't seen the simulation, go to conventionofstates.com, search the simulation. You'll see the simulation we did in Colonial Williamsburg. It was awesome, inspiring, intense. Uh, I don't even know how else to describe it. You got to go watch it. The debate was incredible, and you can see that at conventionofstates.com forward slash simulation. H. Pelisier, H P E L I S R, says Is COS going to focus on constitutional education? Uh, and being active to help out help our republic survive until we can get to the convention. Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly what we're going to do. And that is what we do. So you can join, you can go to Patriot Academy and join Biblical Citizenship or Constitutional Live or 
we're putting those courses all over the country. We're going to be involved in elections wherever that's legal. We're doing that all over the country. Uh, we're doing election judges, training up election judges and poll watchers and doing get out the vote all over the country. Everything we've got to do to build up what is already the largest citizen-led, self-governing grassroots army in American history, because we are going to restore our constitutional republic. Uh, Manjiat Roy says, how many more states do we need? So far, we have 19. We need to get to 34. North Carolina is close. We're right there teetering on the edge. We've already done the Senate. Hopefully, we get the House here shortly. I keep saying that. They're just delaying and delaying, so I'm hoping we get that done soon. There's a lot of other stuff in the works. Uh, we're looking forward to a great year. We're going to get to that 34. Uh, I want to remind you also, if you like this kind of content, check out COS Live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern with Rita Peters and Andrew Lush. Uh, this week, their special guest is going to be Minnesota State Representative Walter Hudson. He went to that simulation I'm talking about. He's going to talk about that simulation. You're going to love it. Also, check out last week's COS at Home. COS at Home featured the president of Heritage having a conversation with Jonathan Viad about convention estates. Really cool stuff. He's a great guy. I've known him for a long time. You'd love that discussion. And then don't forget, every Sunday night, whether I'm here live or we're showing some other kind of footage, every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time, come back right here. Help us save the Republic. Watch the battle cry. Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We'll see you next week. This has been the podcast version of the battle cry with Mark Meckler. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. Thank you for listening.